Hi, this is Casey from Oslo, Norway. I'm about to take my dog Fish out on our afternoon walk. This podcast was recorded at 2:10 Eastern on Tuesday, January 26th. Things may have changed by the time you hear this, but it'll most likely still be wet and cold over here. Enjoy the show. Is his dog's name Fish? Uh, that's what I heard. That's fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we got a little snow over this way, so it's been kind of wet and, and snowy over here. Speaking of dogs, we haven't addressed it in the podcast yet. Joe Biden's two dogs moved to the White House over the weekend, so they are also going out in the in the cold here in D.C. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the White House. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I also cover the White House. And I'm Carrie Johnson, National Justice Correspondent. So today is the latest in a series of executive actions being rolled out and signed by President Biden. Today, he is focusing on racial equity. In a tweet this morning, Biden said, quote, America has never lived up to its founding promise of equality for all. And today he's taking action, as he put it, to push us closer to that more perfect union. Aisha, let's start with what was in the orders that Biden signed today. Yeah, so basically what President Biden was doing today, he, he directed the Department of Housing and Urban Development to advance fair housing laws. Um, uh, it seems like what Biden is trying to do is bring back some o- Obama-era policies protecting against discrimination. He's also going to direct the attorney general not to renew contracts for privately run prisons. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a part of kind of the criminal justice piece of this. He's also uh, committing to respect tribal sovereignty. And uh, also the other, the last piece of this is fighting the rise in harassment and violence against Asian Americans, especially in wake of the coronavirus pandemic and some of the language and rhetoric used by the prior administration regarding that. So I'm really, really curious what both of you think about this, because both of you cover different aspects of of these stories and have for a while. You know, the White House clearly rolled these out with the goals of headlines that they are taking big steps on something they've said is a big priority. But what do you both make of the substance of what Biden has signed here? Is this a big deal or not really as big of a deal? It seems to me this is more of a symbolic action than anything else. There are two areas in particular uh, that do require a change, but the change would be restoring a policy from the Obama years. The first is uh, this uh, fair housing issue and a return to uh, disparate impact, which allows people to prove discrimination, even if they don't have uh, evidence of intent, they can do it through uh, data Mm -hmm. um, and other means. And the other thing was the closure were the phasing out of uh, contracts with private prisons, which they describe as uh, a, a clear move because the inspector general at the Justice Department in 2016 found evidence that private prisons are a little bit less safe uh, than ones run by the federal government. And so uh, those are both things that we saw the Obama years do, but uh, President Trump, former President Trump, uh, promptly overruled or changed those policies. And I suppose uh, the next president could change them right back. And that's the thing, you know, the thing about the private prisons piece, you know, I I talked to an an activist yesterday and and one concern that was raised was that this rule or uh, this direction will only apply to the Department of Justice. It will not apply to the Department of Homeland Security, uh, which 
uh, runs detention centers like those that the public saw during, and, and this wasn't just during the Trump administration, but obviously you had family separation. You saw people staying in these crowded detention centers. There were all these reports about abuses and things happening at certain uh, detention centers. And so that is not going to be addressed. I, I think we will be hearing more from activists raising that concern uh, that this only applies to the Department of Justice. You know, while while these executive orders, these four executive orders may have been a little bit more about symbolism and messaging than about uh, prompt and uh, and direct action, Mm -hmm. um, I will point out that uh, civil rights advocates across the board have had a ton of praise for some of President uh, Biden's nominees for top jobs. That includes people like Vanita Gupta to be the associate attorney general and Kristen Clark, another civil rights advocate to lead the civil rights division at Justice. But it also includes people who are not Senate confirmed. There are people like Catherine Lehman, who led the Commission on Civil Rights before she went into the White House to be a deputy working on domestic policy. And longtime civil rights lawyers like uh, Sasha Sandberg Champion, who's now at HUD, and Sam Bagenstoss from the University of Michigan, who's now the top lawyer at the Office of Management and Budget. These are not naturally places where you'd see uh, veterans of the Justice Department civil rights community, but uh, the Biden administration has named really civil rights experts to a lot of these jobs, which may mean that we're going to see more action and more important action down the road. We're going to talk more about the possible future policies that we'll be looking for after the break. But before we get there, just going back to the private prisons, Aisha, um, this this is something that, that obviously a lot of advocates have been calling for for a long time. But I, I was looking at the language about not renewing contracts rather than outright canceling contracts. How quickly could some of these prisons start to shut down or, or no longer take federal inmates if, if they're waiting for contracts to come up? Well, that's that's the other part of this that makes it uh, not something that's going to be immediate because it's basically saying that these contracts have to expire first and then they just won't renew them. Now, I'm sure if you talk to government policy people, what they they may say is we because you have a contract, you can't just end it immediately. There are terms of the contract. Maybe the government would have to pay or they you know, the other contract holders could sue. Um, I'm sure Carrie could speak to that more. But that means that this isn't something that is going to happen immediately, that, you know, this could be years in the making. And unless you put this, uh, unless this is codified by Congress, you know, this is something that is passed in the law, it could be something that continues to be uh, this, what what is it, a football, a table tennis, a ping pong, going back and forth mm-hmm. between Republican and Democrat administrations, which, um, you know, uh, which happens on certain policies. Um, That means that it doesn't have the long-term impact that it might. Yeah, I remember sitting in the Justice Department in a beautiful conference room in 2016 as uh, then-Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates rolled out her policy to end contracts with private prisons, and then the election happened, and, and that didn't happen. So, you know, elections have consequences, and executive orders... Uh, can be uh, overturned with the stroke of a pen. Right. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will look down the road a little bit and talk about some of the policies that were not in today's orders, but the Biden administration has flagged that they will address in the near future. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe explains the importance of creating a safe space for therapy. 
I can't tell you how many times I've had clients that say that expression, like, I've never told that to anybody. That's when I know I've made some kind of momentous move with this person. They feel safe enough to expose that part of themselves. And doing that together with somebody else can be very powerful. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to betterhelp.com politics. We are still in the middle of this pandemic. And right now, having science news you can trust, from variants to vaccines, is essential. NPR Shortwave has your back. About 10 minutes every weekday, listen and subscribe to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. And we're back. And today, uh, Susan Rice took the lead in, in rolling these policies out. She is is known as the former national security advisor during the Obama administration. In the Biden administration, she's going to be focusing on domestic policy. She's now the director of the Domestic Policy Council. And she came well-armed for some of the uh, the pushback that we were talking about in the first part of this podcast, that that some of the details here were not exactly sweeping reforms. She was making the point... This is the seventh day of the Biden administration. I think you've seen that we have rolled out an unprecedented number uh, of early executive actions. And as you've heard Jen say and many of my colleagues say, this is just the beginning. Uh, we have 1,454 more days left in uh, President Biden's first term. Uh, and so give us a little something to do over the next few days. Obviously, they are going to be facing a lot of pressure because they, you know, have this administration has been touted for being experienced, having, you know, that they are going to hit the ground running. And so they're they're going to have their feet held to the fire on that. But they're trying to make the point, look, this is early days. We have a lot more time and a lot more things that the administration can do. I do, you know, I will point out that the uh, nominee for Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, has not been confirmed yet. But there was some expectation that today that you might see more action on policing and things of that nature. And what uh, Susan Rice seemed to be signaling is to basically stay tuned that some more action, including on policing, will be coming in the coming weeks. And it's not it's not action on policing. But actually, as we were talking just now, I'm just seeing that uh, President Biden is is speaking and he announced another step that the administration is rescinding the Trump administration's 1776 commission report. This is something that came out in the final days of the Trump administration and boiled down to a criticism of any sort of understanding of U.S. history that that points out that the U.S. has had some flaws, namely even addressing the fact that slavery was a massive part of the early days of, of, of this country. So Biden said, unity and healing must begin with understanding and truth, not ignorance and lies. So obviously more steps to come. Carrie, on the area of, of criminal justice, what are the top policies that you've heard kind of signal that they might take, take place? And, and, and what are you going to be keeping an eye on? Yeah, some of these things, uh, Scott, could happen relatively quickly and via executive action. Things like the new attorney general or DOJ leadership telling prosecutors, you no longer need to seek the most serious charges against somebody that you can prove. You can use some discretion so as to reduce the number of people who go to prison in the first place and how long they have to spend there. Things like uh, trying to limit uh, the Defense Department program that provides military-style equipment to local police departments, part of this trend of militarization of police that has gotten activists so upset and enraged in recent years. And then uh, things that um, things that are uh, 
you know, certainly uh, top of mind in the COVID-19 pandemic, like uh, making sure that elderly people who no longer pose as big a threat to society can leave prison early. Scott, to my view, some of the most significant things Biden has pledged, including some of the stuff on policing, would require uh potentially congressional input. Mm -hmm. That means uh, reducing disparities in sentences for drug crimes. That means getting rid of other so-called mandatory minimum sentences for people convicted of a whole bunch of different stuff. And uh, there is a group called the Council on Criminal Justice that is advocating for policing changes, things like reducing the number of no-knock warrants uh, that are granted or making sure that police understand in some cases that they have a duty to intervene when they see another officer engaging in abuse or excessive force, uh, kind of a national standard of force for police. Those are all things really near the top of the civil rights advocate uh, community's bucket list. And uh, Biden has not taken action on those. There's been some talk, but not yet uh, concrete steps. And there was also this pledge that there that uh, that President Biden said or candidate Biden said that after everything happened with George Floyd and all the protests, that he would set up a commission on policing. Uh, There has been some concern about that because there was a commission on policing during the Obama administration. So there there's a sense of. Uh, does the government actually need another uh, commission to do some of those things that Kerry was talking about? I I think activists are saying uh, they feel like uh, the government knows what needs to be done and and that it doesn't really need to be studied at this point. Uh, But that is something that he pledged to do. And I would expect, because he made a pledge that will happen uh, in, you know, coming weeks and months, that there will be a commission set up to look at some, some of those issues. All right, that is a wrap for today. We'll be back in your feeds tomorrow. We're planning on focusing on the Biden administration's new climate policies tomorrow. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the White House. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I also cover the White House. And I'm Carrie Johnson, national justice correspondent. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.